Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Welcome to the HR for Small Business podcast. This is your host, Brandon Laws. Today, I have James Sudakow. He is the author of Picking the Low-Hanging Fruit and Other Stupid Stuff We Say in the Corporate World, and he serves as a principal of CH Consulting, Inc. They're a boutique management and organizational effective consulting practice, and they're located in California, I believe. Is that right, James? Yeah, Southern California. Awesome, and it's good to have you. Oh, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, so this book, Picking the Low-Hanging Fruit, I... When I finally read the entire thing, I realized that the title itself was basically what you're trying to get across in the book. It was that we're using so much jargon in the business world, in the corporate world. Why is this such a problem right now? Yeah, you know, it's it's a great question. And and clearly, I'm I'm not going to contend that it's the biggest problem that the business world is suffering from. But it's an interesting one, right? So, So in part, it's funny. You know, you have to admit some of the ridiculous things that we say are ridiculous. But when you get down one level further, what's actually quite interesting are there. there's two things that happen when we hurl around all of these ridiculous expressions. And I was actually surprised by the first and had predicted the second. The first one is you would be amazed at how many people actually don't know what some of these things mean, even though they're out there all the time. I actually had people that were even up to like a director level who were clearly not inexperienced people in the business world, whether they were big companies or small companies that kind of jokingly said to me, I'm really glad that you incorporated that term or that term because I've been faking it for like 10 years. I had no idea what that meant. And I'm glad I finally do. So it's actually pretty interesting that there's a lot of these terms that we kind of, I think we just assume people know what they mean because they're so prevalent, but people don't. And when you think about that, you know, it does impact how effectively someone's able to do their work if they don't totally get what's being said to them. You know, I remember back in my Deloitte days, you know, we were notorious for this stuff, of course, as all consultants yeah. are. And I, you know, I was kind of a new guy and I, I was sitting there going, uh, do other people know what is being said? Because I certainly hope so, because I have really no idea what I'm supposed to be doing with this stuff. So that's the first one. I think the second thing is actually a bigger issue, and it is definitely something that is that's real. And that is, you know, there's a credibility thing here. Right. So if you ever look at any of the research around influencing people, one of the biggest things that they've found is that your influencing ability is much higher if people can establish some sort of common ground with you. Right. It's this concept of do I like you? Do I feel like we have something in common? And the words we use are actually pretty important in establishing that common ground. And very few people outside of their business life use a lot of these words. And so when I look at leaders like hurling this stuff around, right, it doesn't kind of fit into that whole concept of authentic leadership where people kind of really talk the the same way or communicate the same way. And it actually hurts credibility. I mean, that's the bigger thing that I've seen happen where people kind of 
laugh and joke and smirk or don't say anything in the meeting. But as soon as the meeting's over, they'll say stuff like, what was that guy talking about? Why did he use all those words? Like, what is going on here? Right. And it doesn't help your credibility as a leader. Right. So that those were the two big things that you that actually play out in reality from using some of these kind of funny, dumb expressions. I could see like totally both ways where if you're using jargon, you're sort of like oh, I'm part of this little community where we use these yeah. buzzwords and, and sort of like we're, we're all in this together and we're smart and we're cool and we're high fiving each other. But then I see the other side of it where where I, I notice really successful authors and speakers, the ones that are selling the most books and people connect with and probably they resonate with them more because they're using very simple language, ones that we're all using. So how do you feel like that all kind of plays out. I mean, do you see both sides kind of like I'm suggesting? Yeah, well, and it's interesting because I, I, when I was writing this book, of course, I was having my good time of gathering all of my words and expressions that I wanted to incorporate and basically make fun of in the book. But I talked to a lot of people, right? I was trying to kind of get a sense for which ones do you hear, which ones do you use, I think, to your first point. And many of them kind of said, well, you know, it's interesting. There's kind of this parochial thing of like, you know, when we all are on this team and we all use these words, it's our language and it's, a, it's kind of a parochial thing. And they thought that was cool, I think, to your point. And so I do think there's a part of that that's definitely out there. But what I will say is on a bigger scale, I've definitely heard the why can't we just talk like normal people language all the time, right? You hear that very, very frequently. And like a real case in point, before I started my consulting practice, you know, eight years ago, I had worked internally for a good number of years. And I remember the last company I was at, it was a classic case. There was a the chief operating officer was a very, very experienced guy. You know, he could have thrown around all sorts of business jargon and, and, and all that. But he would literally stand up at these town hall meetings, which were, you know, cast across the globe. And, and he would say stuff like, you know what our job is? Our job is to make good stuff. And then to sell that stuff and then to provide really good customer service to the people who buy our stuff. I mean, he would say that, right? And people loved the guy because they're like, well, yeah, man, he, he's not talking at a different level. This is it. This is what it comes down to. So that he was like adored because of the fact that he was the everyday guy, even though he was the COO of this, you know, this was a multi-billion dollar, fairly big company. And he's up there talking like that. In the, in the business world, why do we get wrapped up in using jargon? I mean, is there a couple reasons why we would even do this? Yeah. So it, so I did some research on it. I was trying to figure it out myself because it's been annoying me for years, right? And I was saying, how, how, what happened here? I even find myself using it as much as I'm on like the front lines to try to get people to stop. What's, what's interesting is when you think about how much communication we are literally bombarded with every day in the business world, email, voicemail, PowerPoint presentations to death, you know, all of the different ways that we're getting communicated with, it's almost like communication overload. And what tends to happen, and I see it happening with me all the time and everybody else I talk to, is stuff starts blending together, right? And because there's just so much of it. And sometimes it's like back to back to back to back all day long, every week, you're just getting kind of inundated with this stuff. So what people have tried to do, like the origin of the buzzword, if you will, is that people have tried to find ways of talking that kind of like rises above the noise so that they're heard, so that they're remembered. And I know I even do this. I have to admit, I'm guilty of literally making up words because, you know, when you make up a word, when you're presenting people, if they're not paying attention to you, they at least perk up for a second because they're like, I've never heard that word before. So you can see where the 
genesis of some of this stuff comes from. It's kind of a way to to be heard. It's kind of a way to say something in a different way so people don't kind of lump it in with the 19 other things they just heard that sound kind of the same. So in some ways, you can empathize a little bit with why we do it, but it still gets a little bit ridiculous when it's overused. I think that's kind of the issue that I tend to come up with is we don't have to overuse it to the extent where it's now lost its luster, like out of the box is a perfect example. I think when that first came out, everybody said, oh, okay, cool. It's a new way of thinking. Now we throw that thing around so much that it's almost like put it back in the box and let's go somewhere else, right? You started out the book. There's like a long paragraph of an example about how it's used. And I want to actually kind of quote just a piece of it. It's kind of funny. Yeah. We need to quickly put a SWAT team together to come up with some good thoughtware and really map out a straw dog for this deliverable. And I'll just kind of stop there. That's good stuff. <laughs> and it keeps going for like a paragraph. And this, this is the reality we are in. Like, oh, yeah. if you're a new employee and you're coming into a business, let's say a consulting business, people talk like this. They do. And I think you, in your book, you even in the first couple of pages, you said you sought out to change this. Yeah. And I want to know, well, I actually know, but tell listeners how that ended up and what, like, kind of what process you went through and if you were successful or not. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll have to I'll go give you the punchline. I'm not sure I changed anybody, but I sure yeah, yeah. certainly made people laugh about it a lot more. So what I actually did was, you know, when I got promoted into a management position at Deloitte, you know, the, the cool thing about that is you get an office, number one, you move out of the cubes. And number two, what, what's even better about it is you get like this cool whiteboard. And I, you're supposed to use your whiteboard to probably, you know, map stuff out, <laughs> right, or come yeah. up with these solutions to use one of the buzzwords. So I just said, hey, I'm going to do something a little different. I started actually writing down all of the buzzwords that I heard just being thrown around my organization all the time. And I basically told people you weren't allowed to use those words in my office, like as kind of a joke, right? It was yeah. just be funny. And it wasn't I didn't I, you know, I got bold enough to even say, hey, I'm going to tell partners they can't use these terms in my office. You know, I'd been there long enough where I was able to get away with it. And then I, and then I made them use air quotes if they absolutely couldn't control themselves. Right. It was kind of a funny environment. And what what I found was I didn't stop anybody from using them. <laughs> what was hilarious was when I would go out on business trips because we were always on the client side, I'd come back into my office and like new words were added and I didn't add them. And so people were like taking pride in the dumb expression that they added added to my whiteboard that people weren't allowed to use. So it became kind of this really fun game of people adding to it. So was I successful in getting anybody to do anything different? Uh, like total fail. But at the same time, uh, people seem to at least be a little more aware of it uh, and had a little bit more fun with it, which is which is kind of, you know, a nice fringe benefit, I suppose. And so then the rest of the book basically goes in defining all of these phrases. And have you heard of all of those or were they some from the whiteboard that people were adding? Oh, a lot of them were the, were the whiteboard, right? So that, that was what was so cool about it. I had my, you know, ones that I just couldn't stand, but everybody started adding them in there. And then that evolved over time. I actually added, you know, a good number more. And I'll tell you, people that have read the book, they say, Hey, did you think about this one? So I've gotten lots of emails from people saying, what about these two? Or what about this one? So, so yeah, there, there's more out there. And it's funny with the book, like you, when you started out, like I thought you said you, you're going to change the world the way people are using jargon, but no, you basically just gave in and you started defining all of these. And I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, no, I tried to change it. And I said, you know what, if I can't, <laughs> if I can't do that, at least I can tell people what they mean and maybe yeah. make a little bit of a ridicule out of it by telling you what it sounds like literally and get a friend of mine to do some funny drawings. So that's what ended up materializing. Yeah, some of my favorites I wanted to just kind of mention were uh, data dump because I hear that quite a bit. Yeah, I'll ping you. Yeah, let's create a parking lot. Oh, I, I use this one a lot. Let's talk at a 20,000 foot level. Oh, yeah. The one that I was like, this is so ridiculous. Why are we even using this? 
build a straw man or a straw dog, which oh, yeah. basically means build an outline. Why wouldn't we just say build an outline? That is so much more simple than build a it straw is. dog. And I don't even know where that one came from. I, I will tell you, I put in some diligence on this one because it was so annoying to me. I'll tell you that one ranks in like my top five too. Where did straw man and straw dog become the place that says that's what an outline means? I don't even, I don't even know how that happened. <laughs> and it's ridiculous, right? People know what an outline is, but a straw man and then to, to transfer to a straw dog, bizarre. Yeah. Some of them are intuitive, though, and I get why, because we use metaphors and we storytell, and I think people resonate with that a lot. So when you use jargon, in a way, sometimes it can accomplish you know, the same thing as like a metaphor. Agreed. And so they are intuitive, but then there's ones like Straw Dog, which make no sense at all. Right. What are some of your favorite ones? If you had favorites. Yeah, no, I've got uh, I've got the one that's probably my most favorite to not like. And, and the, I don't know why this one drives me so nuts, but it does. And that's when we say we're going to bake something into the process oh, or yeah. bake someone into the process. Again, that's one that I can't seem to figure out. How did we even get to that? Instead of just saying, yeah, we'll include that. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I, I literally remember I was on a client site years ago and the partner was a great guy, actually. He was one of the, the most self-aware, funniest partners I ever got the luxury of working with. But we had a client and we were talking and he said, yeah, well, okay, we'll bake them into the process. And the client kind of looked at him with a little bit of like a smirk and a little bit of annoyance, actually, and said, do you mean include the guy? <laughs> so, yeah, we all started kind of laughing, saying, yeah, hey, what about that, Mike? <laughs> we're going oh, to bake him in. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is so funny. I love that. Any other favorites that you have? So I don't like that one. Um, tissue rejection is a great one. I don't know if you've ever heard. Have you ever heard that one before? No, I've never heard it used in context. So tissue rejection must be a classic consultism, but it was this concept of, hey, if we try to put this new thing in play, if we have this new like strategy or process or whatever, and they can't do it for whatever reason, they'll reject it, kind of like organ donors reject organs. And so that's where it came. Like, we don't want to experience any tissue rejection on this, so let's make sure that we, we do it right. <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. Can you define the data dump one? Because I, when I read that one, I, I've used it and I've heard it quite a bit. But the way you articulate it in there is pretty good. But then the illustration is also really funny paired with it. Yeah. Maybe just define that one for me. Yeah. So data dump is a great one. It's literally this concept of there's a what it's supposed to be and then there's what it actually ends up being, which is I think is what's funny about what it is. So what it's supposed to be is when somebody joins either the organization or they join the project or they join whatever is going on in there from the outside, this is supposed to be this thing that's supposed to be helpful to you, which is, hey, somebody who has been working on this thing for a while is going to give you lots of information that you need to kind of get smart about what's going on so that you can be informed and, and start to work on the thing. What it usually ends up being is like complete and total information overload where someone's trying to move on as quickly as possible and they send you, you know, files and files, links to SharePoint, you know, side zip files, documents that may have nothing to do with what you're doing, but they were somehow related to the project itself. And you just get under this pile and pile of information. And the irony of it is, I don't even, when I'm a recipient of, a, of that kind of thing, I don't even read them anymore because they're so not useful because people just send you everything they have that's somewhat related to what you're supposed to do. And then they run the other way. <laughs> so that's what often happens. 
And that's the thing is like when we're using this jargon and then something like that happens where you think it's something and then it becomes this negative thing. Now you have a negative connotation with those words. And so then you, that's right. Again, you want to run the other way. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. And people don't want to be data dumped, right? So that's where this whole concept knowledge transfer became like the less harsh way of doing the data dump. But everybody knows what that is now too. It's the same thing. Yeah. Well, so one of my other favorites that I mentioned earlier was talking at a 20,000 foot level. I actually like that phrase because you sort of know like, hey, we're going to talk strategically without any details. Yep. Is there a better way to really say that? I actually like the way you defined it, right? So, I mean, I think everybody knows what uh, talking a 20,000 foot level means, right? I don't think that's one of those things that people don't get anymore, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it. But I do like the notion of saying, look, what we're trying to do is talk at a strategic level and not get mired in the details. I think that the explanation around how you described it helps people understand, like, what's even the purpose of talking at a 20,000 foot level? Because we throw it around round enough, but people forget that the intent is to not get mired in details at this point, right? And I think it's worth explaining, taking that extra four seconds to add that into the conversation because I've seen a lot of conversations that are initiated as talking at the 20,000 foot level that go way into the details really fast because people, they're not listening to the language anymore. Yeah. You convinced me. Okay. I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. So if we're using this language all the time in business and you wrote this book, defining all this stuff. And if we continue to use it, do you think it just becomes part of the normal conversation and it just becomes so ingrained that it's just becoming part of the language? I think it does for better or for worse. Yeah. And I'll give you a really good example of that. So, you know, because I have this unhealthy obsession with business buzzwords, I recently found that we've had six business buzzwords that have literally been added to the dictionary. So we're talking, you know, Merriam-Webster and the Oxford Dictionary, right? So these are now official words. And I think it's exactly that. And they get there through usage. So one of the funniest ones that was just added was this concept of abandonware. And I don't know if you've ever heard that. No, not at all. It's a literal word now. And essentially what it is, is it's technology that's no longer supported by its creator. Mm, okay, that makes sense. So they call it abandonware, right? Which is funny when you combine it with all the, you know, the other wares out there like thoughtware and ideaware and vapor wear mm -hmm. and shelfware. Those never, I guess, got enough usage where they became in the dictionary, but abandonware certainly did. So I think you're right. I think over time, some of them actually get enough usage where they just become officially recognized words. And I guess that's okay because I can't stop it <laughs> from happening. So if people don't know what jargon means, like they're in a meeting or they're like a new employee or something where they're hearing this, do they ever say, hey, what is that? What does that word mean? I, and then actually chime in and say, I don't know what that means. Can you define it? Do people actually do that? So what's funny about it is I've never seen kind of a younger, inexperienced worker doing it because they're not sure if they're supposed to know what it means. What is funny, though, is I have seen more senior people do it because by that point in their career, they're kind of like, look, I've already mm -hmm. I saw a VP do it the other day and she's like, I'm already a VP. So I have I'm not concerned about whether I'm supposed to know this. And so she asked. Right. And she just said, well, I don't know what this means. And then it was explained to her. And then she's like, OK, great. Maybe you could not use the acronym next time. And, you know, for people like me. So I think there's more confidence at certain levels to actually in a meeting say, I don't know what that means. Tell me. But I've never seen junior level people doing it. And I know I wouldn't have because it's kind of like that thought process in your head of am I going to show that I don't know things that I'm supposed to know by doing that? Right. We're not confident yet enough to, to make that assertion. 
So I feel like with your book, I want to encourage listeners to go out and get this book because I'm a huge Goodreads uh, user, the social application. Oh, I, cool. read, I read somebody uh, had a comment on this book that said, hey, I love this book. And this is great for like putting in the lobby for, you know, when new employees or, yeah. or customers come in and they can just kind of pick it up and flip through it. This is something that you should just have sitting around at your desk, the lobby, just for people to kind of pick up because it's an easy read and you can just flip to chapters. Do you see this kind of being a long-term book where maybe you'll add to it different editions and oh yeah well it's funny i didn't intend to but because of the communications that i got about the book from people who had read it i mean everybody loved the idea of saying hey did you think about this one on top of it so i literally have a working list just based upon the feedback that i've gotten from others that that must be about 60 or 65 (laughs) words already from people who said you gotta you gotta do like a volume two and you know my dream is to you know if i can't make it go away at least we could like build it into new higher orientation or something give it a little yeah. bit but at least have it be somewhat useful right i've always thought that like in a new higher orientation or just the onboarding process yeah from a communication standpoint wouldn't it make sense if you're going to be part of our culture now to define everything that we use from acronyms to jargon to whatever that's right yeah and, and you know obviously my book is intended to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek but there's absolutely utility for it and you know if you combine that with you know my specific business and the specific language we use here you know it's actually quite valuable I worked with a, a small company that was that was close to where where I live and where my company is based that was trying to redo its entire onboarding process and whereas of course we didn't put my book in there but what we did do was we had a whole section on hey how do we talk around here just so that people could kind of get that and and it was amazing how much appreciation new employees showed. For the HR people listening, they really need to grab this book, highlight what they do use, and then to your point, build it into that into the onboarding process and yeah. make sure that, hey, we define the words that we're using so you're absolutely clear uh, and there's there's no questions about it. Yeah, and then somebody new doesn't have to like fake their way through it or think they're supposed to know it when you know nobody would really expect them to know that stuff, right? So I want to kind of give you the last word. Anything about your book, about what you do, links you want to give people just so they can learn more about what you're doing. I know I want to have you back on. You focus on talent management quite a bit. So we'll have you back on for that topic. But yeah. this book is a lot of fun. So anything oh, else you want to talk about it? Yeah, no, I mean, I appreciate the, the time uh, on the show. And and uh, and I'm glad that you that it was fun because it's meant to be fun, right? Uh, I want it to be fun and useful. So if people are interested, you can go to my website, which is just, you know, www.james.com. Uh, sudacal.com and that kind of gives you information about my writings, what I do, that particular book, as well as the consulting. And and I do write for Inc.com. I usually do a couple articles a week there where, you know, I, I talk about jargon as well uh, there. So, yeah. So uh, and if anybody's interested, that's where you can uh, that's where you can find me. Awesome. We'll put links uh, in the show notes for those articles if we can get our hands on them, too. So that's oh, great. great. Well, James, thanks for being part of the podcast. A lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. 
For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.